Hi, this is John Olson. Thank you for joining us on the National Security This Week podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe so you'll receive a new edition of the podcast every week. Please leave us a review as well and tell others about us. And please contact us with any feedback or opinions you might have by emailing nstw at kymnradio.net. We hope you find the show informative and interesting. Thanks again. The Quarterback Club always has daily specials that can't be beat. Today, Wednesday, you can choose from one of three specials. A hot turkey commercial with mashed potatoes, gravy, and vegetable. Or choose the shrimp dinner or the shrimp basket. The Quarterback Club has the best barbecue ribs, roasted chicken, and flame-broiled burgers in town. Always available for dine-in or take-out. For good food, good service, and good friends, it's the Quarterback Club in Northfield. I love coming to Twins games. Okay, first, let's go play bags on the Schneiderman's Lawn in right field. And we can't miss the celebrity bartender at the Great Duck Deck. That's my aunt. She loves going to, quote, Twins games. But really? <sighs> okay, I have joined the meeting here. I think we're all hooked up. Uh, can everybody hear me? Uh, John, you're okay? Yep. And uh, Nuri, can you hear us? Yes. Yes. Okay. I think we're all good. Uh, we've got the uh, rest of this uh, commercial to go, and we'll be on the air in about um, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. All right. Hold on. Because I found everything to live for. That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. National Security This Week, a weekly look at American national security issues. And now, your host, John Olson. Good morning, everyone. It's Wednesday, and you've joined us for National Security This Week. We get together here on KYMN Radio every Wednesday at 9 a.m. to discuss national security, and we're joined by guests from our local area, from around Minnesota, and from across the nation to help us explore American national security. We're going to discuss the globally important issue of human rights today. One of the most important world powers today doesn't have a great record on respect, record, track record on respecting and honoring human rights, and we're going to take a deep dive into the Chinese government's behavior toward not only Chinese dissidents, but also ethnic and religious minorities throughout China. With us to discuss these issues is an expert on these issues. Nuri Turkel is an attorney, China expert, and rights advocate with nearly two decades of experience working in the intersection of law, business, government, and the human rights community. He specializes in corporate governance and regulatory compliance, national security, foreign policy, digital authoritarianism, and forced labor and supply chain risk issues. He is currently serving as chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom after being appointed as a commissioner by Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi in May of 2020. He has testified before the U.S. Congress speaking about Uyghur internment camps and advocating a legislative response to China's atrocities. His policy recommendations have been incorporated into U.S. laws and pending bills relating to Uyghurs and China. As a rights advocate, he has led efforts to raise the profile of the, of the Uyghur cause, previously as the president of the Uyghur American Association and now chair of the Uyghur Human Rights Project, which he co-founded in 2003. He also advised past and present leadership of the World Uyghur Congress. Nuri Turkel is a senior fellow at the Washington think tank, the Hudson Institute, where he works on U.S. foreign policy and national security issues. He's also a life member of the <clears throat> Council on Foreign Relations. His policy-oriented essays appeared in major publications such as Foreign Affairs, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times Foreign Policy, Time, Newsweek, and USA Today. He, and he frequently provides commentaries on TV and radio programs, including CNN, BBC, Radio Free Asia, Fox News, PBS, NPR, Al Jazeera, and France 24. In 2020, Nuri Turkel was in Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World list, and in 2021, he was listed as one of Fortune's 50 Greatest Leaders. In 2021, he also received the inaugural Notre Dame Prize for Religious Liberty. Nuri Turkel holds a Juris Doctorate and a Master of Arts in International Relations from the American University. Nuri Turkel, thank you for joining us today. Welcome to National Security This Week. Thank you very much, John, for having me on. And where are you this morning? You and I are up on Zoom so we can see each other, but where are you sitting? I'm in Washington, D.C. Okay. All right. 
So I think it's really important for our discussion today for our listeners to learn a little bit more about your background and experiences so they can really understand why your expertise is so profoundly impactful on this topic. Nuri, could you tell us about your journey to the United States and how you got into this topic of human rights and international law? Thank you, John. Um, that's a, it's a great question. I, um, I, I was born in a re-education camp um, during the height of the Cultural Revolution uh, in 1970, uh, where my uh, newly vetted mother uh, was taken into the re-education camp um, for, uh, by the uh, Mouse Red Guards, where my father was sent to uh, forced labor camps um, in an area three hours away from home. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I, uh, I was born in a re-education camp. Not only that, I spent the first several months of my life in, in this world uh, suffering alongside of my mother in a, uh, a Red Guard-run uh, re-education camp, which is very similar to the ones that we are, we are discussing uh, and trying to shut down in communist China. The, uh, my journey is, uh, is essentially started the way that uh, I was brought, this to, brought to this world. Um, I was reminded every day, literally, as I grow up, that uh, my mother and I specifically went through such a horrific experience. Even in some instance, we walked by the building uh, where my mother and I were kept or detained uh, early on. And after finishing my uh, uh, primary and secondary education, I went to study in inland China, and I witnessed the uh, 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 you know, experience, actually, the, the, uh, the opening of China at the same time, uh, the post-June uh, 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 4th Tiananmen massacre uh, opening, uh, that uh, China opened its door to the West. Uh, we start seeing more Americans and Europeans at the same time, I read about the Cold War uh, ending in next door uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in my homeland, uh, sister homeland, uh, East Turkestan, with, that China calls Xinjiang. And I was inspired to go to America. I came to America and then realized that uh, the situation is getting worse and worse. So starting 2001, right after 9-11, I become very active in the Uyghur human rights work because China uh, opportunistically uh, misused uh, U.S.-led war on terrorism for its advantage, uh, calling the entire population as terrorists, using its economic and, and diplomatic influence to advance uh, or justify its uh, brutal crackdown of the Uyghur people. So in the, in the past um, 20 years, I got involved in uh, policy advocacy work, uh, setting up, managing, uh, and expanding in a human rights organization, uh, in the last four years in particular, I've been immersed in the work uh, uh, specifically in Washington and uh, uh, capitals of our traditional allies and partners advocating for strong policy responses to stop the ongoing genocide and shut down the industrial scale concentration camps that the communist China set up to hold millions of innocent Uyghur people, uh, including children. So, uh, Nuri, you're an expert on this, uh, on international laws for human rights. How, how exactly does international law frame human rights? I mean, how do nations around the world not only abide by these legal frameworks, but how are they held accountable when they actually violate uh, what the international standards are for human rights? Can you talk, I mean, you're a lawyer, can you explain that to our listeners? Yes, uh, the human rights um, are enshrined in international law uh, initially through the UN Declaration of Human Rights. They generally agreed to be the foundation of international human rights law, which was adopted in 1948. Um, uh, the UN uh, Declaration of Human Rights has inspired a rich body of legally binding international human rights treaties to which specifically communist China as a uh, signatory state party to that they regularly uh, violate. And the human rights framework that uh, gives a meaning to concepts like dignity, uh, fairness, uh, respect, and autonomy. 
this, these concepts often gives a rise in the context of uh, inspection, investigation, reporting by international bodies and various state parties to the, the convention and treaties. Uh, the international human rights laws uh, are built on specifically um, three pillars. Uh, we're talking about the UN uh, general principle, uh, protection, respect, and remedy. That is essentially the framework. And there are seven main international human rights uh, that includes right to vote, right to freedom of association, right to fair trial, right to privacy, and right to freedom of religion. Uh, so these are the rights that the states supposedly uh, uh, respect and protect. Uh, and and, and uh, ironically, as I noted earlier, the Chinese uh, state uh, violates UN Declaration of Human Rights uh, and various other uh, international laws that they sign on to, uh, including International Covenant on Economic, Social, Cultural Rights, International Covenant uh, Convention on the Elimination of All uh, Forms of Racial Discrimination, um, and the Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhumane, Degrading Treatment and Punishment, we call it CAT. Um, and also, uh, ironically, China is also signatory to a state party to the Genocide Convention. Um, and, and ironically, uh, the China also violates uh, its own constitution uh, because of the, uh, through the, the repressive policies that the international community has learned in recent years. So, um, so the, the, there's no lack of uh, Chinese commitment to the international law. There's no uh, insufficient laws to protect uh, human rights under the auspices of international law, under the auspices of UN. But uh, it has been on paper only. Uh, this makes us uh, to believe whether or not uh, UN uh, needs to overhaul the international law uh, in the maybe post-Ukraine invasion by Putin, Putin's Russia, need to look at uh, the international uh, system uh, that uh, countries like Russia and China not only wanted to uh, cause damages, destroy, even change, so we need to come up with a new thinking, new strategy to put in place. Uh, I, can, I can talk to talk about this a little bit more details, but essentially the point I'm making is that uh, the China uh, violates uh, its international commitment right and left, back and forth uh, quite regularly without any, uh, without any consequences, if I may add. Yeah. So our, we're certainly focused on China today, but I do want to take advantage of the fact that you're on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, uh, and you're also, you know, a foreign policy guy. You're you're thinking about national security issues all the time. Uh, I, I would frame it that uh, once Russia I invaded Ukraine, all of the stuff that was sort of below the table in in this. Uh, uh, I, I guess a, a global challenge between the liberal democratic order and the rising autocratic order uh, around the world uh, went from sort of being under the table to being sort of issue number one. And we've seen a backtrack in, in, in democracy around the world. As, as a member of this uh, Religious uh, Freedom uh, Commission, is your commission seeing the same kinds of things with regards to religious freedom around the world? I mean, China is an obvious example, but are you seeing it elsewhere uh, in the world as well as part of this sort of uh, loss of freedoms and democracy around the planet? Um, the democracy is in decline for, uh, for a variety of reasons. Sure. Um, we all know that uh, we have a problem uh, with the bad guys around the world, as Ann Applebaum uh, wrote a few months ago in the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. uh, what causes, what gives us a concern as a as a government agency and a society, is that we cannot uh, push aside human rights concerns, religious freedom issues on the side on the side. We'll put it in the back burner. We'll talk about it when it's convenient, politically expedient, and then just ignore it when it becomes an issue in much broader and bigger national security issues. Late Senator John McCain uh, wrote a piece in spring 2017, essentially 
calling the United States government out for uh, mismanagement of um, uh, human rights centric. We're not focusing on human rights centric foreign policy agenda. Whenever the United States and our traditional allies and partners speak out in one voice on human rights, in defense of human rights, democratic values, uh, it, resonate, it resonates in people who are demanding these kind of freedoms around the world, sacrificing their lives and risking their safety. At the same time, uh, these kind of messages, coherent, um, consistent messages, uh, will be heard in the capitals of dictatorship around the world, including the ones in Beijing, Moscow, Tehran, Caracas, uh, uh, you know, all those places. So we need to, we need to look at this issue, uh, issue of human rights and religious freedom in the context of national security. The reason um, I've been advocating this through my government position, because we monitor uh, a, a, a some of the worst human rights violators around the world that includes countries like um, uh, Burma, uh, China, mm. Cuba, Eritrea, uh, India, uh, Iraq. Um, and also we have uh, been monitoring North Korea, Russia, for example, Saudi Arabia. So all of these countries uh, persecute their religious minority. Uh, for China, for example, has been on the list of country of particular concern, CPC, since a year after the International Religious Freedom Act was enacted in 1998. So we're talking about a country that has been on the blacklist on the top of the uh, religious freedom violators on the top of the list. But when you look at the list of countries uh, that we monitor and call out publicly and pick and make a policy recommendations to the State Department, Secretary of State, President and Congress, essentially boils down to something very simple. If we fail to address these issues, uh, human rights issues, uh, religious freedom issues, essentially becomes humanitarian disaster. Right. In some cases, it becomes a genocidal campaign. Yeah. In the case of Yazidis in, uh, in Iraq, in Syria, in the case of uh, Rohingyas in, 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 in Burma, and the case of Uyghurs now in China. So do we have to wait until it becomes a huge national security uh, concern or humanitarian crisis for us to act upon uh, on national security and foreign policy perspective. I don't think that that should be the norm. So the USERF, uh, my agency, uh, uses international standards uh, to promote uh, uh, freedom of thought, uh, freedom of religion uh, around the world, essentially making the case that whenever the society, a country respects human rights, uh, uh, religious freedom, that naturally brings prosperity and stability. You don't have to persecute a vulnerable ethnic and religious minority to achieve national security. But conversely, if you respect those rights, you will naturally get a national, uh, national security uh, a, a guarantees or even uh, stability and prosperity that you try to uh, use as a justification for persecution. So, um, uh, it, it, the agency that I have been uh, appointed and now serving in the leadership role uh, have been advocating even our government to make sure that the religious freedom, human rights are an integral part parts of U.S. foreign policy agenda. Yeah. So I, 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 I like what you're saying. I'm always in favor of a proactive foreign policy rather than reactive, because I think you can set the agenda more effectively that way. Uh, for our audience, you're listening to KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. This is National Security This Week, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guest today is Nuri Turkel, and we're discussing China's human rights violations. Uh, Nuri, let's, let's dive much deeper now into China's treatment of dissidents, uh, both ethnic and religious minorities as well. Uh, I'd like to begin with China's treatment of the religious groups like Falun Gong. Uh, most people probably remember hearing about them some years ago. There are probably many other uh, religious minority groups. But from your studies, what issue did the Chinese Communist Party have with the Falun Gong movement? And, and this this can just be brief. There's a lot we can talk about this morning. <laughs> yes, absolutely. The, um, the Falun Gong is a spiritual practice uh, whose fee, uh, key feature is essentially a, a, media, a mediation, uh, meditating, um, and exercise, uh, teaching reminiscence of Buddhism and Taoist tradition, which is part of a Chinese cultural tradition, essentially. Uh, but the Chinese government uh, does not tolerate, uh, Communist Party does not tolerate any religious practices, even though 
the rights of worship, uh, religious practices are uh, enshrined uh, in China's constitution, uh, China's autonomy laws, uh, Chinese uh, propaganda documents. Uh, starting through 1990s, uh, uh, Chinese authorities, uh, specifically 1999, abruptly uh, banned uh, this spiritual group, claiming that uh, they are a cult. Uh, that's an, uh, a convenient term uh, accusation that uh, not only we've seen in China, but elsewhere as well. So they got very aggressive. Apparently, there are uh, 70 million followers, uh, following followers in China. Um, and also, it exceeded the numbers of Chinese Communist Party members in 1999, which estimated to be about uh, 63 million. So 70 million following practitioners versus 63 million Chinese Communist Party members uh, in 1999. Give a huge... Uh, concern to uh, uh, Chinese Communist Party leadership. So they, they and they, they, they think this is a threat. Um, that's how this uh, persecution started. Hmm. Um, and, and the reason being is this, uh, when you look at the Chinese constitution, Chinese propaganda material, it looks innocuous, looks admirable, even uh, when it comes to individual rights, because they all say it all the right thing, as if that sometimes it makes you feel that you're reading a document from some democratic nation. But <laughs> the, the thing that the Chinese Communist Party does not say uh, in its documents, propaganda materials, public speeches, uh, some in some instances, speeches by senior leadership, is that they're fearful of uh, religion. Hmm. Uh, uh, Western religion is, uh, in particular, Christianity, uh, Islam, and uh, Judaism. Judaism is not one of the uh, uh, large um, religious group in China, but there's some um, aspect. But the, the main focus is the Christians and the Muslims. They believe, the Chinese leadership believe, that uh, any type of religious practices uh, that promotes freedom of thought, freedom of um, worship, and freedom of press, freedom of speech, that goes on the face of the communist ideology. Uh, anyone who read uh, George Orwell's 1984 would be surprised how much similarities there are in, in China uh, between what George or Orwell uh, warned us uh, versus what the Chinese state uh, uh, says, does on a regular basis. So they believe that um, the, any type of religious uh, practices, uh, let alone being and a, uh, having a number of uh, followers more than the Communist Party <laughs> members is a threat uh, to the state. Uh, it could be a potential source of instability, political uh, upheaval. Therefore, they do everything that they can think of to crush any demand, uh, any uh, uh, practices uh, with a large uh, congregation. Uh, so when you look at it, that's essentially the problem that the Chinese government wrongfully identifies and that leading to some of the repressive uh, persecution of religious practitioners. Okay. And, and uh, we know that the United Kingdom had handed control of uh, Hong Kong back to China as the British Empire resolved to end most of their colonial holdings. Uh, and that year was 1997, and China agreed then to allow Hong Kong to be under a one-nation, two-systems arrangement for the next 50 years. Uh, China clearly has reneged on that agreement, and the past few years have seen a serious crackdown on citizens in Hong Kong who are demanding the rights they'd been promised back in 1997. H how egregious a violation of international norms and international agreements has China committed with their actions in Hong Kong, and, and how have dissidents in Hong Kong and around China been treated in the past decade? I'm talking about, you know, specifically political dissidents now. The losing Hong Kong, um, I believe, uh, is one of the biggest uh, uh, strategic blunder uh, that the international community uh, has made. Um, I, I, think, I think that um, the losing Hong Kong, the way that we have in such a quick, sh short period of time, um, it essentially shows the true nature of the Communist Party leadership. Mm. 
you can say you can see a sense of uh, urgency sense of impatience a sense of uh, brutality um, a, a sense of greed as well uh, the, the Chinese did not have to append Hong Kong democracy to solidify its rule Hong Kong people Hong Kongers were already agreed to be part of mainland China <coughs> excuse me yep. with the, <coughs> with the um, agreement that <coughs> Chinese will not touch uh, one nation, two system arrangement for 50 years. So the Chinese broke their own pledge to the people of Hong Kong, to the international community. So how it started, uh, uh, starting from, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> starting from 2003, <coughs> Hong Kong government proposed national security legislation that would have uh, pro prohibited treason, uh, treason uh, secession, sedition, subversion against the Chinese government. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And then in 2012, they did something all, so, very similar to what the central government of Beijing has done to the Uyghurs, uh, essentially uh, amending the uh, education uh, curriculum. Uh, the, uh, in the Uyghur case, not only the curriculum, but also the the language was switched from Uyghur language to uh, Mandarin Chinese. And then just gradually, uh, and then in 2015, uh, Beijing proposed a framework for universal suffrage, allowing Hong Kongers to vote for the city's chief executive, but not only uh, from Beijing approved short list of candidates. Note <laughs> that that's very important. It's a showcase, uh, right. but you have to, you can vote, but the voting has to be on the individual's prior, uh, previously approved uh, by Beijing. So uh, Hong Kong people who had the taste of freedom for so long did not like it. Uh, they organized massive uh, rallies uh, known as umbrella movement to call for true democracy. And the Beijing obviously could not tolerate that. And then they start uh, stepping up the efforts to rein in dissidents, uh, including the prosecu uh, prosecuting of protest leaders, uh, expelling several uh, new legislators and increasing media censorship. The real turning point was um, in June 2020, where they uh, uh, imposed, uh, passed a Hong Kong legislation uh, uh, known as the uh, National Security Law. That legislation essentially uh, effectively criminalized any dissent and adopts extremely broad definition of <laughs> definitions for crimes such as terrorism, subversion, uh, sec uh, secession, and collusion with foreign powers. And note, collusion with uh, foreign powers can be uh, can be anything. Uh, if you have a communication with foreign leaders, uh, in the case of Jimmy Lai, the revered um, a businessman um, who is in jail today. His collusion was coming to Washington, uh, talking to the officials in the previous administration. That includes uh, Vice President Mike Pence and then uh, the former Secretary of State Michael Pompeo. So, so th with that, essentially, Hong Kong uh, ended. Uh, Hong Kong freedom, Hong Kong democracy was destroyed. And now uh, uh, the, the Chinese uh, supported Hong Kong police, uh, Hong Kong administration. Is, is going even more brutal, uh, becoming more brutal, uh, arresting uh, 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 Cardinal Zen, uh, the top Catholic leader, uh, and also rounding up uh, democracy leaders, including Joshua Wong. Uh, recently, they even detained uh, my good friend, Dennis Fo, uh, who with whom I shared the stage at the Oslo Freedom Forum in 2019. So this is an ongoing repression. And the international community has not done enough uh, to make it costly for uh, Xi Jinping's China to not only erode Hong Kong democracy, but continuing to uh, round up uh, those peaceful democracy activists uh, who have uh, uh, rightfully, legitimately opposed uh, Beijing rule. I, I want to follow that up with another quick question here, Nuri. Uh, I mean, your your national security background, your foreign policy expertise, your expertise on China, 
How, how much is this being driven by Xi Jinping himself and how he views uh, not only his current role, but maybe his legacy uh, as as the leader of China? Is this, is this Chinese Communist Party being driven? Is that driving it? Or is it Xi Jinping himself, do you think, that is driving a lot of this? Uh, it's both. Um, uh, Chinese Communist Party um, uh, is is essentially sets the tone. Uh, this is a this is a this is such an interesting topic that most American people don't really understand. Uh, this may sound patronizing, but no, no, no. Educate us, please. <laughs> the the Communist Party is is essentially sets the stage for everything in uh, in our system. For example, we have Congress, we have administration, we have a healthy debate in, in public through media, uh, through various think tank events, publications. Uh, there's a wide range of topics. People can even protest our government. Um, none of this is, uh, is, is available for the citizens of the People's Republic of China. The Communist Party, uh, known as the uh, CCP uh, publicly, uh, elects or selects who runs the party. In the case of Xi Jinping, he was selected by Communist Party elders. And also on the provincial level, every province uh, has a Communist Party chief that is also selected by the Communist Party uh, apparatus in Beijing. Uh, that Communist Party leadership is actually higher ranking official than the governor. Just imagine that in the, I know it's not perfect example, but a state of California has a governor and yet, uh, some party official sits on top of him, essentially controls everything. So, <laughs> so, so, so this is a this is a setup, at, uh, how the system uh, has been set up. And then, two uh, interesting uh, aspect is China's national security, national defense, uh, domestic policies, monetary policies, economic policies, trade policies, all set by Communist Party. Uh, therefore. Our Secretary of State uh, cannot call his Chinese counterpart, Minister of Foreign Affairs, as his real uh, uh, same level uh, counterpart. In the Chinese system, for example, the Chinese Minister of Foreign Affairs is a low-ranking official, unlike our Secretary of State. Hmm. So it's a, it's a mismatching. But the real person who shot, calls the shot within the Communist Party is the person who is the uh, director of foreign affairs within the Communist Party, not the Minister of Foreign Affairs. So essentially, this is a Communist Party problem that we're dealing with. But the Xi Jinping has been an effective enforcer, ambitious enforcer of the Communist Party. And also, I might add, a very impatient enforcer of the Communist Party. Yeah, that, that's, that's, absolutely, that's absolutely true. We haven't seen nearly the kind of aggressive behavior coming out of China that, that in the past that we've seen under Xi Jinping. No question about it. Absolutely. Does he have to commit a genocide uh, to solidify his power? Absolutely not. Does he have to be alienated as he has? Uh, absolutely not. Probably not. Uh, and does he have to be uh, destroying Hong Kong democracy the way it has uh, to, to have a full control? Absolutely not. But this man is is not normal. When you listen to his speech, uh, particularly number nine document as known, which is available on Wikipedia, he specifically highlighted his national security agenda, uh, his foreign policy agenda. Uh, one of the things that he commonly used to uh, describe his approach to international community is uh, China is in constant battle against the West. Hmm. That what does it mean? why the American policymakers, American general public don't appreciate that. So if a country is in a constant battle against the West, which is us, the United States, then we have to revisit our position. I am pleased with the um, uh, awakening that we're experiencing in the United States. This is not about a particular US government official making uh, inflammatory statement, a provocative statement against a uh, uh, communist state uh, or any politician trying to uh, uh, hold a higher office to make a public statement. This is actually a rude awakening for American people. This regime, this communist regime, this uh, uh, a, a genocidal regime that we're dealing with is essentially a threat to our national security. 
Uh, today, um, yesterday, something remarkable happened in our country that U.S. Congress um, uh, passed a law, Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, uh, last December that signed into law uh, right before Christmas, went to effect yesterday, which essentially addresses some of the lingering national security economic issues since China joined the WTO. Essentially, we Americans been uh, complicit uh, in the ongoing slavery of our fellow human being because we're addicted to cheap products that we buy from our stores, um, the Walmart, Target, Costco, and elsewhere. So the, the China is, is not only causing various national security threats and challenging our global leadership, that also, uh, in a way, in very skillfully altering our way of life in America. Uh, today, when you look at uh, the uh, sports world, for example, NBA does not raise a finger uh, because there's a huge market for NBA uh, 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 athletic programs, broadcasts, and advertisement. Uh, Hollywood does not say anything because China has become the largest market for motion pictures. Uh, U.S. academia, because of China's bullying and harassing of our academics, will not comfortably go out to public to say anything negative about communist China because they still want to have access to China to continue to their research and, 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 and uh, re research and writing uh, and, and this lucrative speaking arrangements that China makes, arrange for the, uh, makes an arrangement for them. Think tanks is another beauty uh, in Washington. A lot of think tanks are tainted by Chinese money. Hmm. So they are in a way it gradually, very uh, uh, strategically, effectively changing our way of dealing with despots, authoritarian dictatorship, authoritarian yeah. regime and dictatorship around the world. So this is a national security threat. So I wanted to point this out to your listener that when you hear uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump speaking in the same, uh, using the same language as describe China, you should, not, you should not be surprised because they they've been doing this uh, uh, to us as a country in the last 20, 30 years. You know, if I borrow um, a former U.S. Uh, uh, vice president's uh, uh, lines at the Hudson Institute in October 2018, we Americans, the United States, helped to build China. And they've been eating our lunch for so long. Yeah. So if this does not wake us up, uh, if, uh, if this genocidal regime that we have a business relationship with, a diplomatic relationship with, uh, that daily, regularly uh, threaten our interests, uh, try to cause harm to our interests, and also engage in transnational repression, uh, and also in a broad daylight, making us all uh, complicit in the ongoing genocide. Then I don't know what will wake us up. So this is a this is a wake up call for those of us live in freedom, those of us care for future, those of us care for democratic freedoms, uh, human lives need to speak out because this is a, a critical moment uh, in our time uh, that we are uh, still appear to be. I think the, the situation is a little better in the United States, but uh, Europeans, you know, I can, I can um, um, express my disapproval and disappointments about some of the European nations, but I think we're on the right track. At least we have recognized this danger on the technological aspect in economical aspect, uh, uh, society aspect, societal aspect, educational aspect, you name it. In everything that we're dealing with, uh, we appreciate in this country has been challenged by China. So I'm I'm very glad I asked that follow-up question about Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> I catch you on a roll there, Nuri. Hey, listen, let's, let's move to the situation with which you are very familiar, uh, the Chinese government's treatment of the Uyghur minority in Xinjiang uh, in Western China. Uh, can you give us a kind of a detailed understanding of what's actually happening in Xinjiang uh, and, and what China has done to the Uyghur people in the region, uh, re really, especially, I'd say, over the last decade? Uh, and then we'll move on from there. The, um, <clears throat> as reported um, in the last three, four years, as recognized by uh, two administrations, uh, the Trump administration and Biden administration, and seven other parliaments uh, and governments around the world, China is, communist China is committing genocide and crimes against humanity uh, in the Uyghur homeland, uh, locking up anywhere between 
uh, 1.8 million to 3 million uh, Uyghurs in the uh, industrial scale concentration camps and uh, uh, enslaving the Uyghurs in the global supply chain. More than 80 uh, global brands that uh, most of the global consumers use on a daily basis have been uh, reportedly uh, produced by um, enslaved Uyghurs. Uh, close to 1,800,000 to 1 million Uyghurs have been uh, taken into the uh, children's uh, camps, much like the way that Hitler did. Uh, and also, um, China has been actively uh, engaging transnational repression around the world, even in our, in our homeland right here, posing um, a sovereignty threat, uh, try to silence not only their former subjects, the Uyghurs, uh, who become a U.S. citizen in our country, and also those uh, sympathetic to the Uyghur cause. And then finally, uh, they also have turned the Uyghur homeland into an open-air prison through this massive surveillance apparatus that it set up, through uh, uh, sending uh, Chinese cadres to uh, sleep and eat, and in some instances commit sexual violence against uh, individuals at their homes. Mm. Uh, this has all been reported. Uh, uh, if, you, if you spend a few minutes just to, to, just to Google Uyghur genocide, Uyghur slave labor, you will be you'll be surprised how much information that are available, and you'll be feeling somewhat feel sorry for you to missing uh, one of the worst uh, human rights crises uh, that the world has not seen since the Holocaust. Um, as has been noted by senior government officials, policy experts, uh, civil society leaders, that the the international community the world has not seen anything like this uh this level of uh, brutality on the ethno-religious minority uh since the nazi era uh the international community made a promise never again but never again ring a hollow today because of the tepid uh meandering responses that uh has been shown to the chinese crimes that is still ongoing uh, Secretary of uh, State Blinken um, noted the other day when he delivered China's speech that the genocide against the Uyghurs are still underway. Uh, this, is, this should be disturbing uh, to American people who love freedom and care for those uh, who are voiceless and subject to this kind of brutal crimes. It, the, the Uyghur genocide is in its sixth year. Um, uh, I, can, I can give you a little bit more of a... Uh, comparative analysis uh, between uh, how international community uh, responded to Ukrainian crisis uh, versus the Uyghur crisis, uh, which is a day and light difference. Uh, just one example, um, there have been a worldwide condemnation, uh, high-level visits to war zone, uh, even by um, uh, top uh, defense and State Department officials um, uh, representing the United States government. Even Speaker Pelosi, who appointed me in my government position, went to Ukraine to meet with President Zelensky. Uh, and the short, less than a week after Putin invaded Ukraine, uh, we have seen uh, about 100 uh, companies around the world, uh, global brands, either suspended or pulled out of uh, Russia, uh, suspended their business practice or completely pulled out of Russia. Uh, in response to Putin's illegal invasion uh, of Ukraine, causing or committing war crimes. Uh, and conversely, when it comes to the Uyghur crisis, uh, Uyghur genocide, there's no single company. Uh, as we are in a, uh, it's six years of this genocide, even publicly pledged that they will stop doing business in China uh, in response. And, 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 and make the matter worse, actually, they are funding uh, the ongoing, uh, fueling the ongoing genocide. Uh, for example, in February, uh, this past February, when China hold uh, the Winter Olympics, some of the global major brands, uh, including Visa, Coca-Cola, uh, Nike, Procter Gamble, Omega, uh, sponsored this genocide Olympics. Um, and, uh, and, and the International Olympic Committee did nothing uh, to stop this genocide. It could have stopped it. Uh, so there has been a miserable failure in the international community's part 
and making it clear to the Chinese that uh, the Xi Jinping's China that the international community will not uh, speak out, will not do what is necessary because it's too costly. Uh, this may be uh, something that your listener uh, find objectionable, but I might add that we don't have to show the level of uh, response that we have shown in the case of Ukraine uh, simply because the, uh, the, the people who are suffering look like us. We also need to show that kind of compassion and support to those who may not share the some similar physical appearance, who may not share a similar religious background, who may not share uh, or confront similar type of uh, adversaries in the case of Uyghurs, the CCP. Yes, it could be costly, but in the long run, history rewards those who are on the right side of the history. And the history will be unkind to those like Noel Chamberlain who end up being on the wrong side of the history. Yeah. Uh, so for our audience, uh, you're listening to KYMN Radio, AM, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. This is National Security This Week, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guest today is Nuri Turkel, and we're discussing China's violations of international human rights law. Uh, so, so, Nuri, all the things you've been describing to us are, are absolutely horrible. Uh, I, I, I think we've, we've done a phenomenal job this morning of covering sort of China's uh, international human rights violations, uh, the lack of uh, strong response from the international community to address these issues, especially in the Xinjiang uh, region of China. Uh, I, I was hoping to ask you uh, specifically about, uh, you know, why Americans should, uh, you know, sit up and take notice of this from a national security perspective. You have already outlined that incredibly well for us. I think you've made a, a heck of a case uh, in the international court of law as to why why Americans should be more aware of what's happening in China and demanding greater action. Uh, you you mentioned the uh, the law that just took effect yesterday. Uh, for uh, for for the Uyghurs, I think that's a great step forward. Obviously, there's an awful lot more we want to cover. Uh, I I do want to give you a, an opportunity to talk about your, your recent book. Uh, no escape uh, is the title of that book. Uh, why did you decide to write this book, and and why why did you title it No Escape? Um, John, if I may, uh, I'd like to thank you so much. I will, uh, before I move on to the book, I need to say, say something really uh, quickly yeah, about absolutely. The, absolutely. the miserable failure of our international uh, system, uh, specifically the UN. Those of you who are following the news recently um, may have noticed that the UN High Commissioner for uh, Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, just completed a visit to China. And uh, she whitewashed essentially the ongoing genocide. Uh, UN High Commissioner for Human Rights is one of the world's uh, custodian of justice, civil liberties and accountability. Mm -hmm. uh, whoever holds that job is essentially, uh, should be uh, looked as a moral leader because you are a champion of human rights. Yeah. Um, and, and the commissioner's job, for example, is trying to clear a robust and unambiguous spotlight on human rights atrocities like the one that has happened to the Uyghurs. And yet she even did not know what her job responsibility and real responsibility. And she ended up uh, trying to engage in political and diplomatic engagements or negotiation with the Chinese, which is not her job description. Why do I bring this up? This shows the problem one of the main problems that we have at the UN. Uh, UN, as I noted early on, uh, is supposed to be protecting and leading the effort uh, in the issues like the Uyghur genocide. And to this day, uh, UN has not done anything. There's no emergency session, uh, even though this has been in its sixth year. No single uh, powerful uh, or statement from UN Secretary General uh, uh, Antonio Guterres, no, nothing. Uh, why China pays one third of the UN operations budget? So we need to look at the ways to reform uh, UN system. We need to also look at the uh, ways to establish an international uh, uh, legal mechanism to address humanitarian crisis, genocide, atrocities without begging countries like China, Russia, to join the effort. Yeah. As a five, one of the five permanent members of the UN Security Council, 
the uh, China and Russia always oppose. It makes us handicapped. I could not do anything to meaningful to hold those bad actors, perpetrators to account. Under the international uh, law, the International uh, uh, Genocide Convention to be uh, specific, uh, there are more than 50 countries. Uh, there are 150 countries that are signatory. As I noted earlier, only eight have uh, uh, taken up a position by officially recognizing the uh, Chinese atrocities against the Uyghurs as a genocide, but the rest of them have not done anything. Under the Article 1, uh, the state parties need to call out stop it and hold the perpetrators to account. To this day, even though our country has led the effort, there's no legal mechanism under the international law to hold those uh, to account. Mm. So we need to reform the UN and you need to create a mechanism that will help to address uh, uh, the genocidal uh, uh, issues and also prevent the next one from happening. As for my book, um, I felt I had no choice but to bring a story that the Uyghurs um, through my own personal experience to the world. My work for the Uyghur uh, people has come at a great cost, but I owe it to my, um, to, uh, I, but I owe it to my conscience and to the world to use all of the tools at my disposal to bring uh, awareness uh, to these horrors uh, and implications for the entire world. Um, I must say this, uh, it's been a painful process uh, even since the writing the book, um, I received a devastating uh, news exactly about uh, seven weeks ago, no, eight weeks ago. Uh, uh, my father passed away mm. um, and I failed to secure his exit from PRC. Uh, and my mother remains trapped uh, away from her American family, uh, American sons and grandchildren. Um, uh, I, I don't know if I will ever see them again. I get sanctioned by uh, Communist China last December in retaliation against the U.S. government's policy responses, including sanctioning um, a Chinese uh, military medical academy and its even 11 affiliates for developing brain-controlled weaponry to be used against the Uyghurs and others and the U.S. government's uh, decision to diplomatically boycott the Genocide Olympics and going after four Chinese officials uh, with a sanction under the global Magnitsky sanction. So I get retaliated against uh, 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 for the policies and uh, pronouncements by U.S. Congress and U.S. President. Uh, and not only that, I got sanctioned by Russia last month. Um, so uh, two of the world's worst human rights violators has sanctioned me. So I guess that's a badge of honor. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. So what about, you know, I know that you and I chatted a little bit about it. What did you find that truly surprised you when you were researching the book? I, um, I have, um, I hope that everyone, um, anyone reading it would recognize the gravity uh, uh, of the situation uh, now and possible new world order should we fail to stop the Chinese uh, genocidal regime. Yeah, um, I find a quite uh, a disturbing similarities between uh, what happened to the Uyghur people uh, in the last several years uh, and what happened to the Jewish people and Romas uh, under the Hitler regime. Uh, the way that they treated uh, women and children uh, the way that they enslaved uh, the prisoners, the way that they used uh, global fanfare like the Olympics to justify normalize their behavior, uh, and the way that they use threats to buy out silence. Uh, we have seen this repeatedly. So I, 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 um, I, I, I believe that the international community uh, should make the never again after the Holocaust meaningful. Uh, and we should not let this happen to another people. So I, uh, it may sound very um, uh, uh, disappointing, disparaging, but uh, sometimes I feel that the slogan, uh, this vow promise uh, never again sounds like a slogan to me. Some people just say it because it sounds good. Some politicians like to repeat it in their speeches because it, it gets clap uh, 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 phrases. So I, I think this has to be meaningful 
meaningful um, and a fulfilling promise. Um, I, I, I am deeply disturbed the similarities. As I wrote in the book, I have a chapter called Reinvention of Genocide, uh, making comparison. Uh, I have a chapter in the book, uh, China's War on Uyghur Woman. I have a chapter on uh, uh, the modern day slavery, calling it a message from the slaves. So all of those three aspects, I clearly point to the direction uh, as if uh, that China has borrowed the pages from uh, Hitler's playbook. Yeah, it does feel to me a little bit like uh, we're reliving the 1937, 38, 39 time frame all over again right now uh, as this as the world is sort of facing this uh, competition for the new world order between the liberal democracies and the, and the rising autocracies. Uh, Nuri, we only have about five minutes left. What else should the American people know about international laws and norms with regard to human rights uh, that we haven't maybe discussed today? Things we should absolutely know about. Maybe I can give you about three minutes to uh, share your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I you know, I, as I noted that um, uh, this is on us. Uh, this is this problem is on us. Um, you know, during the process of researching and writing this book, um, it was striking to uncover uh, specifics of the similarities between, as I noted, the CCP and Nazi mindset, including collective punishment uh, based on religious and ethnic um, background, uh, rounding up social elites and thought leaders, violence against women and children, dehumanization of the entire population, um, and one other thing that we haven't talked about, um, the disturbing nature of uh, this technologically enabled authoritarianism right. and the world's indifference to another genocide. Uh, there's still massive failure um, regarding early detection and prevention of atrocity crimes. I have attended meetings organized by various uh, organizations. They work to prevent atrocities, but how do you prevent atrocities uh, when the early warning signs are so clear in the case of the Uyghurs and the Rohingya Muslims? Do we have to act afterwards? Even acting afterwards will not be meaningful, will not be effective. So, um, so I, I, um, I would call on the American people to do uh, a few things. One, stop investing in this technology firms. Um, in the Silicon Valley, um, there's a guy by the name Shamas uh, Palihapitiya of a social um, capital. Um, uh, people like Elon Musk of Tesla, uh, uh, Herbert Dyes of Volkswagen, and many others uh, are essentially complicit in the ongoing genocide. Uh, Elon Musk opened a dealership in Urumqi right after the United States government recognized atrocities as a genocide. I, what more does he need to do the right thing? <laughs> yeah. So stop investing in these companies. Um, so when you stop investing in these companies, they will get the message. And this guy, um, uh, Shamas, uh, who is a, a, a immigrant, uh, a child of an immigrant from Sri Lanka, uh, enjoyed the taste of freedom both in Canada and the United States, and quite shamelessly said that who cares about the Uyghurs? Uh, this is just, he's being honest. <laughs> ironically but that's the uh, that's the nature of the people that we're dealing with in the uh, high-tech sector in the united states hmm. and also uh, as a consumers uh, you should stop buying uh, products made by uh, made in china uh, specifically those consumer products uh, cotton products agricultural products uh, there are 83 brands uh, have been implicated and also those of you who care about environment please don't forget that those solar panels made uh, the solar panels that you put on your roof to save conserve energy and save the planet has been made by uh, enslaved Uyghurs uh, using dirty coal. So this is this is this should should um, should be concerned to you. So um, I call on the consumers to boycott uh, products coming from China uh, if it's one of those uh, companies sourcing from China with the enactment of yesterday's law this will be less of a problem but as a consumers we maybe end up paying a little bit more but at the end of the day it's a moral thing to do uh, if you wanted to see the list of companies that have been implicated go to um, uh, ASPI Australian Strategic Partnership Institute website uh, to look up that report that has um, a long list of companies and also there is a specific website uh, set up by civil societies the end the Uyghur forced labor uh, dot org. 
that also has a lot of information. And you can go to my uh, organization's website, as John introduced, the Uyghur Human Rights Project, uh, uhrp.org, that also has um, uh, a useful links. And finally, if you have extra dollars, uh, contribute to an organization like UHRP. That has been doing a phenomenal job. Thank you. Well, unfortunately, we've come to the end of today's edition of National Security This Week. Uh, Nuri Turkel, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been incredibly enlightening. Thank you very much for having me on. Hey, where can our listeners uh, find a copy of your book, No Escape? Um, you can order a copy of my book at your favorite uh, online bookstores, such as Amazon. Or you can go to my website, nuridurkel.com, uh, and there's a, a link where you can order uh, your audio, hardcover, or ebook uh, version of uh, No Escape. Yeah, and I'll spell that for our listeners. It's N-U-R-Y-T-U-R-K-E-L, is Nuri Turkel. And folks, that closes this week's edition of National Security This Week. We're on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. I'm your host, John Olson. Thank you for joining us today. I look forward to sharing time with you again next Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Thank you for being a listener to National Security This Week here on KYMN Radio. Have a great finish to your week, everybody. Take care. You've been listening to National Security This Week, a weekly show looking into issues of American national security with the host, John Olson. Listen every Wednesday at 9 a.m. for National Security This Week.